Chapter Nineteen of the Life and Times of Kateri Tekakwitha, the Lily of the Mohawks, by Ellen Walworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kateri's friend, Therese Tega Yaguenta. A joy was in store for Kateri Tekakwitha that would remain until the end of her life. No greater blessing can heaven send us than a friend whose heart responds to our own in closest sympathy and to whom we can unfold the hidden places of our soul with no fear of betrayal had kateri failed to find such a heart friend before she died we should never have learned what a wealth of strong human love and a craving for human companionship had been growing up within her through the lonely years she had lived until now never before had she greater need of a friend to sustain her never before had she been so cruelly mistrusted as on her return from the hunting camp the gift of god was ready the friend was close at hand but the knowledge of this was kept from kateri until her desolate heart turned in on itself could find no refuge except in the bitterest self-condemnation knowing the goodness of god and finding herself unsatisfied at heart she could find no reason for it except by magnifying her slightest faults into a dreadful wickedness for which she needed punishment this tendency of her mind was encouraged constantly by anastasia's instructions and exhortations they were well-intentioned and suitable enough for lawless and passionate natures but too severe for the pure and sensitive soul of kateri the suffering that comes not from evil doing or thinking but rather from well-meaning bluntness can easily be utilized and undone in the far-reaching plans of god kateri's cruel self-reproach cannot be looked upon as a useless pain when we see how it pierced another heart and bounded back to her own richly freighted with new-found friendship and much-needed noble companionship what are kateri tekakwitha and therese tega iaguenta doing there by the new stone chapel why do they stand apart in the life-giving sunlight why do they not speak to each other can it be that they have never before met both belong to the praying castle both are christians both are iroquois kateri came from the mohawk country before the snow had fallen now it has melted away the grass is green mount royal la prairie the village the woods the waters are bathed in sunshine the river is roaring and rushing tumultuously with the added wealth of the springtime freshets the mission chapel is nearly completed the stones are all in place and the roof has been reared kateri compares it no doubt with the dutch church at fort orange the most imposing structure of the kind she has ever had a chance to see we need not ask her whether she prefers the bright little weathercock there or the cross on the belfry here for we know how she cut the cross in the bark of a forest tree and how she carries it day by day buried deep in her heart 
therese sees kateri and wonders what she is thinking about therese has the dress and the look of an oneida her glance is freer and bolder than kateri's she is older and not so shy and has seen the sunshine and shadow of twenty-eight summers health and beauty and vigor attend on the young oneida but all at once her face grows thoughtful and sad the chill of a terrible winter comes up from the past and strikes on her heart as she watches the face of kateri so quiet and so collected it was only an idle curiosity that brought her to look at the building but now she is led by a strange attraction and follows the mohawk girl as she enters the chapel the floor has recently been laid and a man is at work on the wainscoting round the wall no benches or seats are yet to be seen nor any kind of divisions kateri turns to therese and gives her an iroquois greeting she is about to ask a question the oneida returns the salutation graciously and a conversation begins in two slightly different dialects though one is using the mohawk language and the one the oneida they understand each other perfectly kateri asks therese if she knows which portion of the church will be set apart for the women therese points out to her the place where she thinks they will be and the conversation continues it is all about the new building in which they are standing their thoughts chime well together but kateri whose mind as she came from anastasia's cabin and wandered into the chapel was dwelling less on what she actually saw before her than on her own internal wretchedness and unworthiness suddenly exclaims with a heavy sigh alas it is not in this building of wood and stone that god most loves to dwell our hearts are the lodge that is most pleasing to him but miserable creature that i am how many times have i forced him to leave this heart in which he should reign alone do i not deserve that to punish me for my ingratitude they should forever exclude me from this church which they are raising to his glory these words with their spiritual thought and beautiful imagery came rolling from the tongue of the mohawk girl with all the eloquence of tone and gesture so natural to her race they were spoken too with an added force that belongs only to the utterance of those who live in habitual silence concerning their inward life therese could not look upon them as a mere language of the lips for she saw as she watched the face of her companion that the last words came like a sob from her very heart they echoed strangely in her own soul her past life that terrible winter in the woods her vow to heaven unfulfilled conscience remorse an impulse of love and sympathy for the one who thus wailed out her sorrow in a direct appeal to her all this and more disturbed the soul of therese she looked at kateri and then at the new-laid planks on the chapel floor her tongue was silent but her eyes spoke out in a single glance and said to the mohawk girl if you only knew if you only knew how it is with me and these were the words that she seemed to be reading along the boards that lay close to her feet 
she is better than i or she would not speak like that she can help me god has sent her here i will tell her what i have promised and left undone she thinks she is wicked i don't believe it i want her to be my friend she lifted her eyes again and in a few quick words opened her heart to kateri insensibly the conversation led them says Sholenek, to disclose to each other their most secret thoughts to converse with greater ease they went and sat at the foot of a cross which was erected on the banks of the river there where the cross still stands as of old near the great rapid therese told kateri the story of her life and there their souls were knit together in a friendship that would outlast death and time therese became a part of kateri and kateri of therese henceforth they were two souls leading but one life the history of one is the history of the other except that kateri was necessarily though often unconsciously the leading spirit but what was the life of therese tega ayaguenta before she met her guiding spirit and linked her soul to the soul of the lily what were the sins for which she resolved to do penance together with kateri what was the story she told as they sat on the grassy bank at the foot of the tall wooden cross the gloom of the evening fell about them before they could separate when at last they turned their faces from the great river and bent their footsteps toward the cluster of iroquois lodges near the portage kateri had learned much of what here follows concerning the life of her friend and many secrets of her heart which have never been recorded therese was baptized by father bruya in the oneida country when that missionary first arrived among her people he converted kateri ganeyaktena who served as interpreter while he was learning the language and who afterwards with her husband went to canada and founded the praying castle at la prairie tega like gani yaktena was a young married woman when bruyas converted and baptized her she had been united to an oneida brave after the iroquois fashion but unlike gani yaktena she did not succeed in converting her husband on the contrary she herself was led away by the force of evil example about her and almost lost her christian faith in the history of the iroquois missions it is related that a certain brave christian woman literally fought with tooth and nail to keep some of her infidel tribesmen from pouring fire-water down her throat if they succeeded in making any of the christians drunk they often managed to win them away from the influence of the black gowns therese less resolute than ganiactena and the woman just mentioned fell a victim to this persistent policy of the infidel indians after her baptism they beguiled her into the prevailing sin of intoxication for which she afterwards shed bitter tears and suffered many self-inflicted torments in company with kateri before she could be fitted however for the friendship of so pure a soul as that of the mohawk girl she had to pass a terrible ordeal when she left the oneida country and went to live at the praying castle with her husband's family only a partial change was brought about in her lax easy-going life for therese tega iaguenta though capable of deep religious convictions had an impulsive 
pleasure-loving nature, very different from the reserved, self-sacrificing spirit of Kateri. The lily of the Mohawks, from the first moment of her life, had never ceased to be attentive to the lightest whisper of divine grace. Tega Iaguenta could not be brought to listen to this voice, till it spoke to her through the gaunt lips of bereavement and starvation. Then she forgot it again, till suddenly she recognized its echo in the looks and words of Kateri, when she met her at the chapel. The following is a brief account of the strange winter adventure of Therese Tega Iaguenta in the woods of Canada, as told by Cholinac. She had gone with her husband and a young nephew to the chase near the river of the Ottawaks, Ottawas. On their way, some other Indians joined them, and they made a company of eleven persons, that is, four men and four women with three young persons. Therese was the only Christian. The snow, which this year fell very late, prevented them from having any success in hunting. Their provisions were in a short time consumed, and they were reduced to eat some skins, which they had brought with them to make moccasins. At length they ate the moccasins themselves, and finally, pressed by hunger, were obliged to sustain their lives principally by herbs and the bark of trees. In the meantime, the husband of Therese fell dangerously ill, and the hunters were obliged to halt. Two among them, an Agnie, Mohawk, and a Sanantuan, Seneca, asked leave of the party to make an excursion to some distance in search of game, promising to return at the farthest in ten days. The Agnie, indeed, returned at the time appointed, but he came alone, and reported that the San Antoine had perished by famine and misery. They suspected him of having murdered his companion, and then fed upon his flesh. For although he declared that he had not found any game, he was nevertheless in full strength and health. A few days afterwards the husband of Therese died, experiencing in his last moments deep regret that he had not received baptism the remainder of the company then resumed their journey to attempt to reach the bank of the river and gain the french settlements after two or three days march they became so enfeebled by want of nourishment that they were not able to advance farther desperation then inspired them with a strange resolution which was to put some of their number to death that the lives of the rest might be preserved. When they were eating the flesh of the first victim, who was an old man, they asked Therese if it was allowable to kill him, and what the Christian law said upon that point, for she was the only one among them who had been baptized. She dared not reply. They gave her their reasons, which were that the old man had given them the right that he had to his life saying that he would cause them a great deal of suffering on the journey the little nephew of therese had already died from hunger and fatigue when her husband lay at the point of death she and the boy had remained with him till he breathed his last and then she had hastened on through the woods carrying her nephew on her shoulder till she caught up with the band who had journeyed on in advance of her the child died a little later, in spite of her care, 
and when the man of the party was devoured before her eyes misery and starvation rendered her speechless she saw that they were determined to sustain life at the expense of those among them who were unable to resist they therefore selected the wife of the san antoine seneca and her two children who were thus in succession devoured this spectacle terrified therese for she had good reason to fear the same treatment then she reflected on the deplorable state in which her conscience told her she was she repented bitterly that she had ever entered the forest without having first purified herself by a full confession she asked pardon of god for the disorders of her life and promised to confess as soon as possible and undergo penance her prayer was heard and after incredible fatigues she reached the village with four others who alone remained of the company she did indeed fulfil one part of the promise for she confessed soon after her return but she was more backward to reform her life and subject herself to the rigours of penance this she did not undertake in earnest until she met kateri from that time they were inseparable they went together to the church to the forest and to their daily labour they told each other their pains and dislikes they disclosed their faults they encouraged each other in the practice of austere virtues they agreed that they would never marry an accident occurred in the early days of their friendship that gave their thoughts at once a serious turn one day when kateri was cutting a tree in the woods for fuel it fell sooner than she expected she had sufficient time by drawing back to shun the body of the tree which would have crushed her by its fall but she was not able to escape from one of the branches which struck her violently on the head and threw her senseless to the ground they thought she was dead but she shortly afterward recovered from her swoon and those around her heard her softly ejaculating i thank thee o good jesus for having saved me in this danger she rose as soon as she had said these words and taking her hatchet in her hand would have gone immediately to work again if they had not stopped her and bade her rest she told therese that the idea in her mind at the time was that god had only loaned her what still remained to her of her life in order that she might do penance and that therefore it was necessary for her to begin at once to employ her time diligently such words from such a source could not fail to stir the zeal and emulation of her warm-hearted impetuous friend hand in hand they now hastened to climb the thorny path of penance guessing eagerly where certain information was denied them as to what might be the perfect christian life they were seeking so earnestly to lead End of chapter nineteen